0: Hi, I'm David Abrams, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Tenant Experience Network podcast. I want to welcome today's guest, Annie Rinker, Director, Office of Innovation at Heinz. In this episode, we will learn about Annie's journey to her current position at Heinz, where she builds on the intersection of co-working and traditional commercial real estate by exploring ways to drive value. We will tap into her thinking around how technology is changing client experience, hear her views on the changing role of the property manager, and begin to explore where co-working meets multifamily. We're excited to be sharing this podcast with you, so make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the Tenant Experience Network. So now I'd like to welcome Annie to the show. Hey Annie, really glad that you could be with us today. How are you?
1: David, thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, let's start with your journey to your current role as director, Office of Innovation at Heinz. How did you get started? Walk me through what that looked like.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, we have to go all the way back to 2006. And honestly, I think I ended up in this general um, area by accident. Uh, I was between undergrad and law school, and I needed a job. I ended up taking a position in Washington, D.C. for a real estate company. Um, the car companies who uh, they, there's a long history of sort of co-working what then was called executive suites or serviced offices with the car family. Um, but when I started, they were using empty space in their current buildings and later signing leases and other buildings to build out what was then called executive suites. So I started off in account management and sales and Progressed pretty quickly as the company continued to grow, um, and I think I I learned a lot during my time at Carr. I was there for you know almost uh, thirteen years, and I think you know one of the things that we got to do is is work a lot with Oliver Carr Jr., who is now in his nineties, but he's been a visionary in real estate, um, especially I think in the co-working world, um, and he has been incredibly forward-looking at what this product needs and really focus, I think on the customer, the tenant, which I think again is something that historically real estate hasn't done a great job in. And, and in fact, if you even think about just like what the word customer means and you talk to people in real estate, a lot of them are focusing on their investment customers or their their different customers in traditional real estate rather than um, you know the, the people who are actually engaging with our product, the humans who are interacting every single day with the buildings that we build historically have not necessarily been part of the conversation and i think that i had the the fortunate pleasure of starting with this company who had a founder who believed that, that that believed that the humans interacting with our product were a huge part of what we needed to do and i remember sitting in a meeting with him this must have been probably 10 years ago and he drew this like elaborate building on a on a chalkboard or whiteboard and um, you know, sort of showed different products in the buildings and saying like, you know, if if, if you're small or if you're, you need flexibility, then you're going to go to this product. And if you are sort of between that and a, and a traditional lease, then this is the product that you're going to go to. And then you're going to grow and you're going to be in this lease. And then we're going to have all these services on the ground floor. And, you know, this was 10 years ago. And that was like, mind blowing. You know, nobody was talking about it. You know, people were probably laughing him out of their offices because that's just not what was done. But the reality is that that really is what the people that's what they want that's the experience that they want to have in our buildings and there's a lot I think you know 10 years ago we weren't there because technology wasn't there I think just where we were from a, a generational standpoint wasn't quite there but where we are today with technology and the people actually engaging in our buildings that's exactly what they're looking for and so you know all of that to say I think car was a really great place to cut my teeth but at the end of the day, they were they are more of a regionally focused family fund. And so, me joining the Office of Innovation at Heinz, you know, there's so much innovation happening in real estate. And the Office of Innovation, they formed it several years ago to sort of look at all of those different things, including flexibility and amenities and programming and, you know, space utilization and all these different things that are happening in real estate right now. But a big part of it is how the technology is really changing the the client experience and the expectations and how they work. So I'm focusing on you know sort of one innovation pillar, which is this concept of agility. So how can we provide more flexibility into our products? How can we give that flexibility back to our clients? Um, and at Heinz, I'm hoping to bring sort of all the operational knowledge that I've had of co-working um, to our in-house platform, which we call the Square as well as different ways to work with our asset management, property management, development teams to really enhance the experiences of our clients and, and drive our global portfolio forward.
0: Very interesting. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation based on sort of that journey and, and, and where I think this we can continue to chat about. Um, just a quick comment and then a question. First of all, in terms of the customer, you spoke about that. Um, you know, I think also the industry for a long time only thought the customer was the person that signed the lease.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. And, and
0: I think what's evolving is, you know, recognizing that the customers, every single tenant, every single occupant, um, yeah. they're your customers and we exist ultimately to serve them. So I, I think it's been an amazing transformation. And I, I think the industry is a lot closer to recognizing that more holistically than it ever has been before.
1: Well, yeah, and I think I think it's interesting that, you know, if you, if you take co-working, which is what my background is in, that's we were developed to be able to have those engagements on a more granular level rather than property management, which traditionally is sort of single single person where you've got you know the tenant person of the building and that's who you communicate with. You've got the person who signed the lease and that's who you communicate with. And you've got you know, hundreds of other people that never engage with they property didn't matter. management. They didn't <laughs> matter at all. And I think you're absolutely right, David, is that that I mean that's being blown out of the water now, and I think people want the engagement. They want to engage more with the people. They want to engage more with the buildings. They want sort of the programming that that exists in co working, and that we did a really great job of. But you know, I also think it's really difficult for property managers because they have all these other things. Like if you think of a community manager in a co working space, they basically have to think about their floor and, you know, their space. And that's it. They don't have to think about the mechanical systems Mm -hmm. of the building. They don't have to think about all the vendors that, that, you know, deal with the building and the management of it. But I think what is happening right now and is really interesting is that there is so much technology, not impacting necessarily directly to the, the tenant or the customer, but that's happening with property management and engineering that is allowing them to be less hands-on through automation and machine learning. We can take a lot of the things that historically engineers and property managers have done and automate it and make it so that they can focus on other things. And so property managers historically did not have the bandwidth. They could only focus on one person. But now I think with what's happening in our industry and the different tools and resources that are out there, we're able to remove some of like lease administration from their plate and have them focus on some of the softer things, some of the like EQ based things that really the people occupying our buildings now want. And I think that that's a really big shift in our industry.
0: Right. That, this could be a whole nother episode, but that opens yeah. up all, <laughs> kinds of, all kinds of questions around what are the skill sets that property managers yeah. now need oh,
1: right, right.
0: Uh, going forward. So one other quick comment um uh so when when you, you know you talked about executive suites being sort of maybe the the where, where it all started and then this this migration or this transition to what is now called co-working when when abouts did that take place for you and and for car
1: um oh gosh i actually it's funny um so the, the i there's like a long history and i'm not gonna be able to quote exactly who or when or you know, but it, it basically was around, I think, the, the great financial crisis is sort of when the, the term was coined. Um, and I remember going through a big debate with our company because the word co-working when it first came out was very specific to this, like, community focused, open workspace, um, a lot of programming, free beer generally. You know, <laughs> that was like what co-working was. And my company had a much more traditional executive suite model, which isn't as much open space. We still had all of the other things, but I think just the mere fact that we didn't have hot desking or, you know, open workspaces made it so that we were pretty slow to adopt the term co-working. Right. And, you know, I remember as early as probably four years ago being at, a, you know, there's a, an organization called the Global Workspace Association and they have an annual conference every year and it's for, um, for operators and occupiers and and now more so landlords who are starting to join um, this organization. But it, there were d- these debates that were going on internally in our own industry. Like, can you call yourself co-working if you don't have open space? You know, is there a service office? Should that be what we use? Should we adopt different things for different product types? And there was sort of this just gradual shift where everybody now uses the, work, the term co-working Um, interchangeably. And I think if you're still using serviced office or executive suite, it's sort of a, you know, you're sort of looked upon as this old school operator rather than, you know, somebody. And and even now, you know, I'm sitting in the square uh, in our Houston location, and um, we've brought in on Industrious as our operating partner. and, And you know, I'm in a private office right now across the whole private office. It's all private offices. We don't right. have any like big open co-working spaces, but this is co-working. Right. And I think that that's just, you know, it, it's, it's sort of the um, bringing together all these different services and promoting it for both enterprise as well as small and medium-sized enterprises that um, need this type of space and flexibility. And that's what co-working is now.
0: Right. So why do you think you were so uniquely suited to this opportunity? Are there any unique skills or interests or experiences that helped you to become successful?
1: Oh, um, well, I think I was lucky enough to just sort of fall into co-working and, and then as a result fell in love with the industry. I think, um, you know, this is such a, a people focused industry. And again, you know, if we think about property management, it wasn't historically, but I personally believe, and I think that a lot of others do as well, um, that this is the direction that property management has headed as well. But it's this people focus where we, you know, It was heavy on engaging, it was heavy on sales, it was heavy on like operations. It was heavy on a lot of these different things that I think I was just sort of really suited for. So I spent years learning about all that operations, marketing, sales, management, um, customer engagement. Um, But I think one of the benefits that I had is I listened to my gut several years ago, I really saw that the integration of coworking was happening into more traditional real estate. And I think that, you know, I saw that customers were not, no longer just single, you know, entity law firms that needed space, but that, you know, Microsoft needed space and that Facebook was looking at this and that, you know, these larger corporations in finance and tech and and law that normally wouldn't have used our space and in fact would have seen it as like a black mark if they did, we're now wanting that flexibility and wanting the product and wanting the programming that these spaces were delivering. And I think that that woke me up um, And I saw that, you know, with that shift, that co-working needed to be integrated and would in the future become a bigger part of traditional real estate into the future. So with that, I went back to get a master's in real estate finance and development from Georgetown University. So I could have an understanding of co-working and traditional real estate and really start to be the bridge between those two. So I could talk operations and then sit in front of an asset manager and talk about the financing of the building and so that they can, you know, start to understand how the operations and the cash flows that we have on the operating side actually impact the building and how we can fully integrate the product. And so, you know, I, again, I think listening to my gut was a big part of that.
0: Right. Really interesting. And I think the the way in which co-working space has evolved, and to your point, it's not just for, you know, one-off, you know, entities, but also as a, a part of a total um, real estate solution for very large companies as well. Um, I think it's yeah. been very much driven by what the customer, the, the, the user uh, has wanted. And it is yeah. definitely, definitely meeting a need. Um, any advice for someone wanting to follow a similar path?
1: Um, I mean, like I said, I, I followed my gut, which took me to Georgetown, which, you know, at my age and in my career and, and working full time and going to Georgetown University full time was extremely difficult and grueling on me and my family. But I truly believed that this is where it was headed. And so listening to my gut and my heart got me to where I am. And so. You know, I'd say that that people need to do that. You need to trust your instincts. Um, I think, you know, I actually got advice from um, my former boss at Carr. And, you know, he told me that I I was sort of debating which track to take at, at Georgetown. And he told me that understanding finance is a huge part of almost any role I was going to do in real estate. And, you know, for me, like, taking a finance track was probably the last thing I wanted to do. Like not a huge fan of numbers, but at the end of the day, that was actually phenomenal advice. And I'm really thankful to him that he led me down that path because I do understand it better. I understand the whole entire, you know, project cycle from a development standpoint and the, you know, the different capital stacks that we're dealing with and all these different things that I can, again, have those interactions with asset teams and, and um, the management teams on the traditional uh, real estate side. So I, I would say, like, even if it's not your strong suit, really dig in and try to understand um, uh, financing um, if you're taking on a real estate role.
0: Well, I think actually that holds true for just about anything. So just to share a, sure. a, little, yeah. a little David tidbit, this is actually my, 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 my latest endeavor. It's actually my third um, invention of myself and, and what I'm doing with my career. But I started out actually in public accounting. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I, yeah. I used that opportunity to gain insight uh, into so many different kinds of businesses from a financial perspective and really learned to understand what you know financially drove a company. Um, and yeah. then I ended up going into, into marketing and ran a marketing agency for 25 plus years and then became a founder of a tech company. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, that foundation of finance uh, has served me well.
1: Oh, I so, can imagine. Yeah, I agree with that. So
0: so we're on the same page there. Um, listen, there's no shortage of challenges that we're all dealing with today, but what's the biggest challenge, in your, challenge you're experiencing and how do you think you'll overcome it?
1: Well, I mean, honestly, it has to do with finance. I think, you know, the co-working obviously has become more mainstream. The fact that we're even having these conversations that I work for one of the world's largest private real estate developers is, you know, it, it's proof that co-working has become more mainstream, but there's still so many people that don't understand it. They don't understand the product. They don't understand the operations. They don't understand the cash flows. Um, and I think part of that is its relationship to capital markets and and the financing of buildings. Right. Um, I think the industry as a whole is still in its infancy. And so like as buildings start to transact, um, you know, so so let me take a step back before we transact with buildings, but I think our industry has seen this massive shift, especially with COVID towards management agreements. So traditionally, uh, you know, a serviced office, a co-working firm would sign a long-term lease, 20,000 feet, 10 years. They'd get their TI dollars, they'd build out the space, they'd operate it and they'd take the, you know, the alpha that they're creating within that space. Um, I think what, That there's been the shift though, and it started several years ago. In fact, my former company car did a lot of management agreements in buildings that we owned, we had, you know, sort of a management agreement contract, but then, uh, you know, third party buildings as well, we started that. And now more and more people are doing it. And with COVID, Sort of the rent arbitrage model that co-working has been built off of has been exposed, and nobody's interested in that anymore. And so, very few people continue to sign leases for co-working space into the future. You know, even if leases are signed, I think that the asset teams are taking a really strong look at the financials of those companies to understand like the viability of them into the future. Um, and so, all that to say, we still need this product, and so management agreements are becoming more and more popular. And so. You know a, a a company will go into a management agreement with the landlord and and um, you know they'll they won't pay necessarily rent but they'll pay you know some sort of upside based on operations of the space, et cetera. So, you know, all of that to say that's I think really, really great for our industry, but how it impacts um, building transactions is still unknown. I think mm-hmm. the industry is in its infancy and it's not like buildings are transacting hundreds of them a day. You know, we've got to get through the management agreement phase and then we need to operate the spaces for a couple of years and then the building needs to transact. And then we can start to see the impact that these management agreements have on the valuation of buildings. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges right now is frankly, it's like a timing issue. I think the industry, you um, Will start to understand this, Um, but right now it's it's really hard for uh, for landlords to understand operating models and and thus you know if a if a building transacts and they've been able to maintain a certain amount of cash flow from operations, if the you know the building owner B that wants to acquire that building, they might not fully understand the operations of that cash flow and how it's and, and so they might not underwrite the acquisition of that building factoring in the premium that that co-working space is able to achieve on that floor. And so I think, you know, all that to say it, 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 it's very interesting. I think the management agreement um, one of the things that it is going to do is that it's going to give more of a direct relationship between the member, the customer of the co-working space and the landlord. So there's not necessarily a third party entity between the two. It's going to make it um, so that the customer has more of a direct relationship with the landlord, which I think will help the capital markets better understand and underwrite these products. But, you know, frankly, right now it's, it's, you know, it's time. If right. I could overcome it, I would fast forward, push the you know fast forward button in five years in the future, where we'd have a lot of these buildings that have transacted with management agreements that so we can see the cash flows from the operations of these co-working spaces and how it's impacted the NOI of the building.
0: Right. So just these new models, creating you know, not, we don't have the same experience in working with them, and therefore don't really understand exactly how they impact on all these other motions, you know, along the the real estate journey. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, if you had an extra $100,000 of budget right now, how would you spend it and why? Uh,
1: well, personally and professionally, because I, I can think of <laughs> a couple of things. Uh, let, let, let's, do profe- let's do professionally. <laughs> okay, fine, professional. um, so I think, you know, it, it sort of goes back to what we just talked about. I think there are a number of projects at Heinz that could really benefit from from the square, from our co-working product you know, but we're still working on these pitches to these investors into the project teams and everything that we just talked about as it relates to management agreements and the, you know, potential, I think, benefits, but, you know, could also be seen as, you know, uh, it, it could impact negatively the cash flows of buildings. And so I think that it's still seen as a really risky product and, and you know, real estate risk. There's, there needs to be super high reward, which I believe that there is. But also, if you're trying to de-risk a project, putting co-working in it is not the best move. And so... You know, if I could just take money and granted in real estate, $100,000 doesn't get you super far, but if I could just sort of drop that and say to a project team, like no returns expected, here's $100,000, I'm going to prove to you that this will work and we'll sort of put that in so that, you know, we don't have to, you know, whether it removes some of the upfront capital required or the, you know, TI dollars required, whatever it is, but just drop $100,000 into a project. And then let's fast forward again, three, five years. And I think that that would really, you know, if I could use that money to to convince a project team for us to put this product in there, you know, I think the more and more that we have these products in our buildings, and I'm using them as case studies for other project teams, and people will start to understand how this is integrating into the full fabric of the building and how it's engaging the customers not just on the co-working floor but like how can we engage everybody in the building and so you know how can instead of just building an amenity floor that's sort of this stale stagnant amenity floor how can we use co-working to become the amenity space in the building engage with the rest of the tenants in the building and sort of create this like holistic product that's not just, uh, you know, bifurcated with co-working over here and rest of the right. building over here and, and boom, there's our product. So I think um, I think that that would be a a, a good tool up my sleeve. I just pull wow. out a hundred thousand dollar check.
0: I love it. I love it. I'll try to make that come your way. And and really Thank as you. I think about as I think about, you know, what was in my head as we as I was, you know, writing a strategic plan uh, many years ago, pre-prop tech and and pre you know the really the disruption of commercial real estate by technology around what ultimately has become hilo. Um, it was very much recognizing that you know why was that co-working experience in isolation of the of the total building experience? Right, and that, right. And I and I always felt there was an incredible opportunity for it to be actually one experience, um, with maybe just Completely a different, agree. you know, f- you know, physical footprint in one part of the building. But um, so that was really a driving force between uh, behind creating a, a digital communication and engagement platform that ultimately brought people together, created community, um, provided opportunity to promote amenities and services and programs um, that really focused in on the customer, every customer, every individual in the building. So, um,
1: I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we need. Let's let's you and me let's change this industry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, I've certainly learned as I've embarked upon this new journey for me the value. Uh, mentors and colleagues and, um, you know, reading, you know, recommended books. Um, I yeah. can tell you that I've done more of that in, in the last, you know, two or three years of building Hilo than I did in my entire career previous. Um, I wish I had started much earlier, but can you tell me, are there any resources or mentors or colleagues that have really helped you along the way that have, have really, you know, been influential? Um, and because I think that's great learning for our listeners uh, and to yeah. show the value of that.
1: Yeah, you know, there there are a lot. I'm I'm very fortunate in that um, you know, I think relationship building has been a really good thing for me and and you know, it, it's something that people need to understand that you're not only just building relationships with like potential customers, but internally within your company, you need to really work hard to establish and maintain relationships. Um, you know, and, and whenever there's somebody who you think is interesting and you want to learn from, most people are very flattered by the opportunity to teach somebody else something. And so, you know, early in my career, um, you know, I I remember I was actually, I think it was through ULI young leaders program or something, but there was this uh, amazing woman who was a broker and, and, you know, I, I, uh, was very impressed by her. And she ended up doing this like mentor group. And I love every single interaction that we had. And I still to this day, and you know, I, I moved to Houston, Texas. So I haven't seen her in a while. But every single month up until me moving to Houston, Texas, we would have coffee. And just talking to her about the industry and what she's seeing and, and, you know, problems that I was having in my career or, you know, questions I was having, like all the different things, like my decision to go to Georgetown University, talking it through with her, I think was really influential. And I mentioned already, but i'm I'm very fortunate that I started my career working for this amazing amazing visionary. and you know this is a guy who, at ninety years old, was talking about co-working spaces and coming in driving himself into the office every single day. And so working for somebody at that level uh, I think was really, really big um, for me and 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 did a lot for me in my career. but you know, I, I do a lot of reading. I think reading is really important. I read probably an average of an hour to an hour and a half every single morning. I just wake up early. And so I can read And whether it's through a podcast that I listen to or books that I'm currently reading um, or news alerts that I set for myself for companies in this industry or, you know, whatever. I think that it's really important to stay engaged um, with with others who are that have similar outlooks um, and also different outlooks to you. I think I, I think it's important to continue right. to engage with them.
0: Yep, definitely. Um, can you share any details about something new you're working on, uh, to the extent that you're able, uh, that you think our listeners might find interesting?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that Heinz has done um, with the squares that we sort of see it as this research and development area for Heinz. Um, one of the things I think that has been particularly interesting and I've, I've had conversations with others who have agreed with me is uh, sensors are a really big thing that people are talking about right now. And what we did at the Square is we, we see it almost as this research and development lab for us. Because right. if you think about a, a traditional building, we can put sensors in the lobby but it's not like one of our tenants is going to allow us to put seven different sensor companies in their space and and trial them against each other and then pull down the data and figure out what it's telling us, et cetera. And so at the Square, we are able to do that. So we've got, I think, seven different sensor companies that equate to around 150 sensors throughout the whole space that are telling us all sorts of different things. And, And we're seeing which sensors are working, which aren't. We're seeing... Um what kind of data it's giving us we're trying to to you know develop dashboards um, so that we can analyze that data. and you know there's one thing to collect data you can collect data all day long. It's another thing to take that data and have have it as some sort of iteration into the future for your product or to tell you something and then actually do something with that knowledge. and so, I think that's something that we're working on right now is um, trialing the different sensor companies, seeing which ones we like, which ones are giving us data that's really um, informative. And then what are we going to do with that data? How are we going to distill it down so that it's you know something that we can uh, look at on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, however often we need to? How is it then going to inform? So, you know, we're trialing out sensors in our bathrooms. And so... And especially in COVID, this is really fascinating because instead of saying to our cleaning company, we just need to clean our restrooms every hour, we can actually take the data from a utilization standpoint and say, hey, the bathroom was just used, can you go clean it? So it's, it's I think, able to really like streamline our process and make us a lot more efficient. And this is sort of going back to that whole conversation about property management. So you can imagine now if we can make our whole operations much more efficient with this information that we're able to gather, I think that's sort of the, you know, the whole point of the sensor is not just to gather data, it's to actually be able to do something that betters the tenant experience or betters our, you know, our property management team, make something more efficient. Like we need to be able to actually distill that data down and do something with it. So that's, that's a big uh, focus um, for my team right now, not necessarily something I'm focusing on, but it, we are putting it in the co-working spaces that I'm, I'm working on. So it's exciting.
0: All right, I just want to confirm that this conversation was, you know, not pre-planned, completely, you know, not non-rehearsed in, in advance, but it's interesting that you bring up sensors of all things. Right. Um because we really believe as a um as a a tenant engagement platform, um we really believe that if we're if we're the ones that are helping to bridge the gap between building operator and tenant and really um bring that relationship to life, that we think sensors actually play a, a pretty important role in all of that. Um, and how our platform can actually also engage with sensors, and to your point, how does that data come back and, and, and feed right. back to the manager to help inform decisions, you know, improve efficiencies, improve operations? Um, so offline, I'd love to connect with you and talk further. Um, That's great. About what you're doing in sensors and about what we're doing and see where, 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 the, uh, where that intersects. Yeah. Um, if you could have one superpower, besides reading my mind all the time, uh, <laughs> what would that be and why?
1: Well, it's funny because, you know, mind reading, I think would be really great because I sit <laughs> in so many meetings with people and, you know, not even just, you know, for you, that would be really helpful. But I think, you know, when, when you're, when I'm sitting here talking to these project teams and they're, they walk through our space and they're like, yeah, it's beautiful. Yes, we want it in our, our, our project, but then they go back and have all sorts of other meetings with all sorts of other people. And then they come back and it's like, no, thank you. And so it's like, I would love to be able to read your mind or maybe like (laughs) invisible powers. And so I can follow them and be a fly on the wall within those internal conversations to figure out what's really happening on the back end, so that I could try to solve for it. Because I think, you know, again, I'm obviously a big believer in this product and I think everybody, all projects need to have it into the future. And so if I can just, Um, understand more in depth like why it's sometimes a no and you know uh, probably most of it has to do with financing but like how can we get to the bottom of that and how can we help solve for it Um, I would love that superpower because I think we would be a lot more efficient
0: okay all right Um, so you talked about you know sensors being not necessarily something you're specifically working on but a a bigger part of your, your team or your company what are you curious about about right now what are you thinking about differently in light of current circumstances
1: Mm. Well, I think, it, you know, two big things, kind of dealing with ex- experience. So, you know, obviously, everybody, I'm, I'm in an office today, but that's sort of, uh, it's not not frequent, I'm not frequently in the office. So a lot of people are back working at home. And so we sort of started to think about this, like with the future of office, I don't believe that the office is dead, but I do believe that there is going to be the shift to a much more high touch, high caliber, high experience product. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about what that means. What does that mean for property management? What does that mean for, um, for the projects that we develop? What does it mean for the design? How can we incorporate the co-working in there? Because at the end of the day, you know, I don't need to come to an office anymore. Um, most people aren't going to need to come to an office, and so if if office becomes more of a want than a need, then how are you going to attract people into your product? And I think that that's a big question that a lot of developers need to answer. Right. But I think that's not. I don't. I think a lot of people are thinking about that right now, and it's not that groundbreaking. But one of the other things that um, you know I'm thinking a lot about is you know with with so many people working from home. How do we start to incorporate co-working not just into an office building? So how can we maybe incorporate into the fabric of our multifamily development? Um, I think that there's still a ton to unpack there. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, I was just having this conversation not that long ago with a colleague, but it's like, you know, you need to think about an office if you have a co-working product and I'm I'm putting it into a multifamily development, I can't sell an office that is more expensive than somebody just getting a two-person or a two-bedroom unit because right. then that second bedroom is their office. And so if we want co-working to sort of be incorporated into the fabric of multifamily, then we really need to think about the products that we're offering and is it more of an on-demand type product. Do we have more team rooms? Because that's something that people need a multifamily. And, you know, there's again a ton to unpack there and a lot of conversations to be had around it. But, you know, I think I think that obviously again I'm a big believer in this product. And I think that there's a lot that it can do in real estate, not just in office. And so right. I, I I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about how can we further incorporate this more and more into real estate.
0: Well, it makes a lot of sense. And and I guess the Where we're gravitating towards is just the whole notion of work from everywhere. I don't think it's work, you know, come back to the office. I don't think it's work remote. I think it's the notion of working from everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the ideas in, in multifamily, I don't think you're right. I don't think it's just putting in offices in a multifamily setting. But I've heard one company that's created what they call Zoom Rooms. Yep. Right. So, you know, I think it's more on a utility basis. What do people who are working from home need that they can't always satisfy with their own, within their own suite or their own space? So right. I think there are definitely some interesting and exciting opportunities that we're going to see uh, emerge um, in that category.
1: I agree. I agree. Um,
0: is there anything you wish you had known when you first started out? Uh, wouldn't we all love the benefit of
1: hindsight? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um I mean, I I think probably if I'd been able to look back five or six years ago and, and seen the 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 different client types that were starting to come into co-working um, and really, I think, do a better job of associating the experience that they had um, and, and the direct correlation to their desire to be in this, to the experience, to the product type, and how that should shift. It's like, you know, I, I knew that it was coming, but... I don't think I put as much weight onto it. And so, you know, 10 years ago, 14 years ago, when I first started off in this industry, I think, you know, if I had been able to see where we are today and again, I I had a little bit of it because of the founder of my former company. um, But I still think that there was so much that we could have done better knowing where the industry was headed. And so if I could look back and have that magic crystal ball and realize that this is this is exactly like everything that co-working does. You know the operations and the programming and everything really is needed in the full entire project and incorporated into property management. I think if I had known that five years ago, then you know it, it'd, it'd be a different conversation. And instead, it was like one of those things where I I sort of started to understand and, and got, but I wasn't standing on top of mountains like I am right now, I think screaming about it. And so I wish that, uh, I wish I had that knowledge back then and and I did something with it.
0: Right, you know, Deloitte at the beginning of 2020, I guess late 2019 uh, declared, you know, their vision for the future. And of course we all know that real estate used to be location, location, location. Um, And they declared it to be um, location experience analytics. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think in the end, uh, not knowing the impact that COVID would have on the world, um, I think that really holds true even more that, you know, yes, you need the physicality or some form of physicality, but then it is all about the experience. And to your earlier point about sensors and data, you know, the analytics that come out of that to help just continue to to provide that feed of, of information to continue to improve, right?
1: Yeah, it's a con- yeah continuous improvement, I think, is so huge. And I think, you know, again, we went back went back to the original conversation we had about who the customer is, right. and that I think is has seen a major shift in this industry. And like in most industries, that's like a standard, that's like how you start off. And so the fact that we are only now just starting to have those conversations and ask those questions, um, I think, I mean, it makes me really excited for what the future of real estate looks like.
0: Right. Well, if, if that truly does bring us full circle, then I wanted to say thank you very much for joining me today. Um, it was a great conversation i look forward to reconnecting in 2021 yes and, and talking again and, and and let's see where you know your work takes you let's see if uh, if we've been able to find that hundred thousand dollars so you can <laughs> pursue that experiment but at a minimum uh, it'll be exciting to see where uh, how co-working continues to evolve and i believe that it will. Um, and how the notion of working from everywhere will continue impact um, not only traditional commercial real estate, but also the multifamily uh, and how work from everywhere, you know, finds its way into that um, um, sector of the industry as well.
1: I definitely agree, David. This has been really great. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. And I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Take care. Bye. I want to thank Annie Rinker for joining us on today's podcast and for sharing her journey from early beginnings at car companies to celebrating her one year anniversary in her new role at Heinz. Great learning for all our listeners and an opportunity to gain insights into what it takes to build a successful career. Please be sure to tune in again for future discussions with leading professionals and industry experts who all have something to say about experience in the built world and the impact that technology is having on the largest asset class in the world, commercial real estate. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please reach out to me directly at david at hiloapp.com. And until our next episode, I wish you all continued success in building community where you work or live. Thank you.